0: The Bible says here in verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than... Although Jesus himself had never baptized... Let's see, I think some of my scriptures were cut off here. Let me look here. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was baptizing more disciples, baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus... being being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. and There came a woman of Samaria to, to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But but whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing unto everlasting eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw water. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You may be seated if you like. We've been going through this wonderful, glorious book, the book of John, the gospel according to John, accounted by John. By now, the popularity of Jesus has grown quickly. The news has reached the Pharisees. And uh, they had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Our text here says, if we look again at verse 1, it says, Therefore... Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making that Jesus was making more disciples although Jesus himself was not baptizing but the disciples were. As John the Apostle clarifies Jesus himself was not baptizing. Jesus did not baptize anyone. However, his Disciples, they were baptizing. He had instructed them to baptize. And the fact that Jesus himself did not baptize anyone should cause us all to take pause and wonder, well, why didn't the King of Glory, when he came to this earth, and in human form, why didn't he take the time to go down into the water and baptize folks? You know, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So you might ask, well, why didn't he go and baptize? Because water baptism doesn't save. Because water baptism does not have the ability to regenerate anyone. You can can dunk a hog all you want to, and you're going to get it clean for just a moment until he can go back to the hog pen, right? So... Jesus wasn't baptizing anyone. It's a spiritual matter here. It's regeneration that, that cleanses people. It's not the water baptism. The, uh, the, the adherence to the doctrine of baptismal regeneration were the Roman Catholics, the, the uh, Orthodox churches, the Lutheran churches, and the Anglican churches, as well as the churches of Christ. The Church of Christ lend to this idea that baptismal generation is what is required. Now, water baptism does not clean and doesn't purge a person of sin. Can you imagine that, just thinking that that water would cleanse a person of their dirty, rotten sins? We know better than that. We know better than that, and there's no scripture that would ever support that idea. If water baptism was any part of regeneration, Jesus himself would have went down into that water, and he would have baptized folks as he saw fit. The Apostle Paul only baptized a few people himself, and you remember what he said? He said, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That was the most important thing, was to preach repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The teaching that baptism is necessary for salvation is false teaching, and it can't be reconciled with sound doctrine in the Word of God. So when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, He left Judea, verse 3. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. Now, as we saw in the previous chapters, I just love how we're going through the chapters. I think we, we can grow in, in knowledge and understanding and in wisdom of the Word of God rather than going through and picking out this and that and putting together a topic. Uh, this, this really holds us to a standard. When we go through God's Word verse by verse, it holds the, pe- the preacher to a standard not that I really have a problem with with preaching on topics but I love being held accountable for every verse and it says what it says we can't make it say something that it doesn't say but we saw in the previous chapters that John the Baptist he rejoiced that Jesus's ministry was growing. Here this man of Galilee, he was growing. People were coming to him in droves. Here John the Baptist, his crowd was getting smaller and smaller and smaller all the time. John was delighted to be a friend of the bridegroom. He was delighted to be the friend. John said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. This joy of mine has been made complete. John was was on a mission. And it wasn't to grow popularity It should never be a minister's goal to grow a a popularity. For as John said, he must increase and I must decrease. You see the difference? It's all about Jesus far and above everything else. John the Baptist knew that he was providentially sent to be the forerunner. He was the voice of one Crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Mm. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is still at hand. Until he calls his church out of this world, it's at hand. In other words, it's near. His coming is nigh at the door. John was to announce the coming of the King, Jesus, the Messiah. Not wanting to be a public rival or a competition to develop between Jesus' followers and John's uh, disciples, Jesus purposely left. As the scripture says here, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And notice this next verse, verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Let me... Let me uh, uh, speak about that for a moment. The province of Samaria, it lay between the province of Judea and the province of Galilee. And the scripture here says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. You see, Jesus was down here in Judea. What was he doing down in Judea? He was down there preaching the gospel. And his disciples were baptizing people, but he must needs, as the King James Version says, he must needs, I must needs go into Samaria or go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment there. There was an alternate route to go into Galilee, which is north of Samaria, but oftentimes people would uh, the the uh, the strict uh, Jews. They would go around Samaria. They would, they would cross the Jordan River, and they would go up the Transjordan Highway, and they, over here would be, uh, uh, over here would be uh, Samaria, and then they, they'd cross back over the river. They could go that way, which was a farther way, or they could go over here to this side and go up along the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Samaria now. They're going around Samaria, going into Galilee. Well, you may say, well, why in the world wouldn't you just go right straight up through Samaria? That's what we're getting to. That's what we're getting to. Jesus had a divine purpose for going into Samaria. The reason why he had to pass through Samaria was because God had appointed him to do so. And he was doing precisely what the Father said for him to do. A perfect example for you and I, by the way. Perfect example, right here might be a good place for us to mention that Jews, the reason why they would go around Samaria is because they they despised the Samaritans. The animosity between the Jews and the Samarians can be traced all the way back to the dividing kingdom of, of Solomon, Solomon's kingdom, after the death of Solomon. You know, the northern um, kingdom of Israel built... Samaria and made it their capital city and they determined they determined that Mount Gerizim was the place to worship rather than down there in Jerusalem they determined that Mount Gerizim was the place to worship the Samaritans by the way they only accepted the first 5 books of the Old Testament which is referred to as the Pentateuch the first five books was all that they would accept which means that they would ignore the writings of the prophets they would ignore the writings of psalms and so the stricter jews they took issue with the samaritans mixing worship with god and worship with idols they had a problem with that now while traveling north and south As I said, the Jews could go around, and they typically would, but Jesus does not. He passes straight through Samaria, and he stops into a little town here called Sychar, as we'll see here in verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jesus came to the city of Sychar of of the Samaria province, which is near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his, uh, t- to Joseph, his son. Now, this was a very important parcel of ground, by the way. Why? Well, let's look at this next verse, 6. Verse 6 says, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well as it was about the sixth hour. You see, 2,000 years, looking back at this well, 2,000 years had passed since Jacob dug the well. And there it was, still providing water for the thirsty after 2,000 years. By the way, it was at the, ba- at the base of Mount Gerizim, Jacob's well. It was dug 4,000 years ago from now. It's 2,000 years back to Jesus, 2,000 years on back to when Jacob dug the well. The well is still flowing today. The well is still flowing today. And it's, uh, today, it's, it's, it's housed inside of a, uh, an Orthodox church, a Greek Orthodox church. So, uh, the well is still flowing. It's still got plenty of water flowing to it. On that day, it says, you know, Jesus was to be provided with water. Jesus was thirsty. Now, what makes it so significant that Jesus was thirsty? The word here says that he was wearied from his journey." He was wearied from his journey. Now, what does that tell you? What does that tell me? That tells us that Jesus was man. Jesus took on humanity. Jesus knows what it feels like to be tired. Jesus knows what it feels like to be be, um, exhausted and to be thirsty and to hurt and to feel pain. Jesus knows all about that. He can relate to you and I. Inhumanity, you ever get tired and weary? Sure you do. Jesus knows how you feel. As a true human being, Jesus experienced fatigue and and even exhaustion. After all, did you know that the distance from Jerusalem that he walked up to Sychar was approximately 40, 45 miles? He walked by foot, by feet, on his feet. He walked. In desert, he was tired. He was weary. He was thirsty. So Jesus, in the physical limitations of his full humanity, he was wearied from his journey. Oh, I'm wearied from my journey. You ever get a little wearied from your journey? Jesus did too. Jesus did too. Jesus fully experienced the weakness of the human body. Our Lord sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That would be, uh, that would be after sun, uh, after, uh, six hours after sunrise, which would have made the time about noontime. Now, this is, this is significant. I hope this is a pearl that you hadn't picked up on yet. Maybe this, maybe this will be it. So it was about noontime. It was the hottest part of the day. In the desert regions, it was hot. It wasn't a time to be out stirring. There, Jesus sat in the weariness of human flesh, covered in dust and sweat, and the grime of the and the sand uh, blowing from that old, uh, from that hot, burning desert. No doubt, his feet were hot, but he was still keeping his divine appointment. He suffered on through. He suffered on through. He had an appointment that he himself had made from the very foundation of the world. This was an appointment that he was going to keep. And there are many more that he is going to keep. He said there's an appointed time unto man to die. And after this, the judgment. He will hold faithful to that as well. Judgment is coming. Verse 7 says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now it was a bit peculiar that this woman was drawing water, as I said, in the hottest time of day, here at 12 o'clock in the day. Women customarily drew water in the cool of the early morning, or as the sun was about to set in the coolest part of the evening. So why was this woman out here on the hottest part, the most uncomfortable part of the day? It was also unusual that this woman would be traveling such a long distance to this well. While there were plenty of other sources of water closer to the village that she was from, she went way out to Jacob's well to get her water in the hottest part of the day. It was also unusual that this woman came to the well alone. Women wouldn't travel alone. It was dangerous. So for this woman to travel alone, there was something out of sorts with her. Women would typically travel in groups. And as we'll soon see, the woman was an outcast. It's apparent that she walked the extra distance at the hottest time of the day to avoid the crowd, to avoid the hostility of the other women, to avoid the scorn, to avoid the harsh words, to avoid the shame, the woman had it rough. Jesus said to her, he said, give me a drink. Now picture this. Here Jesus is sitting here alone at Jacob's well. And as the woman approaches the well, she sees this man that she doesn't know. She doesn't know him. Having avoided the other women, drawing water at the, at the almost unlike, most unlikely time of the day, She finds herself alone at the well with this man. Verse 8 says, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus was alone with her. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food in Samaria, by the way. Now, this explains why Jesus was sitting here by himself. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. She was stunned that Jesus would make such a request of her. Because Jews, she knew he was a Jew, probably because of the way he was dressed. Jesus, Jews custom, customarily didn't speak to women in public. Did you know that they wouldn't even speak to their wives in public? Nor would a rabbi associate with such an immoral woman. Verse 9 says, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The translation of the last part of this verse, I believe, is a bad one. It's not true that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. In fact, they had all kinds of dealings with Samaritans. In fact, Jesus had sent the disciples into town for a business transaction to buy food from them. To purchase their food. So, what Jews were not allowed to do, they were not allowed to share eating utensils. They wouldn't drink from the same cup. They wouldn't eat from the same uh, uh, spoon or fork or bowl because they were considered unclean. They were unclean. It was surprising that Jesus would drink from a, from a Samaritan vessel, especially from that of a woman who was an, an immoral outcast. So her question was this. How is it that you, being a Jew, Ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. To which Jesus answered her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, I would have, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If she only knew that he was the Christ, the Son of God, she would have realized that he had salvation, and he had eternal life without end. Had she asked for it? When their conversation began, Jesus was a thirsty one. But I want you to notice here. You know, she was the one that had the water. Jesus was a thirsty one. But now the conversation is turning. Now he spoke as if she was the thirsty one, and he was the one that has the water. Let's look at this again. For he knew the gift, for you knew the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. Now, like Nicodemus, the woman was puzzled by Jesus' words. She's thinking in terms of physical water. Look at this verse 11. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Travelers of ancient times. Making a, a long journey of several miles, they would customarily take along with them a, a bucket or a picture that they could drop down into a well that they came along uh, uh, upon, and they could draw themselves some water. But here Jesus was. He didn't have a bucket with him. In other words, she's saying, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to give me water? I'm the one with a bucket. You, don't, you can't draw water if you don't have I would say more than likely the disciples that had gone into town to buy the food probably had the bucket with them. But like the Jews and Nicodemus before her, the Samaritan woman didn't understand that Jesus is speaking of a spiritual water. He's not talking about that water that. You can take a sip of it or a big gulp of it or, or a big drink of it, and it'll and it'll settle you for just a, a little while. But the thirst comes again. We know that. She said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. In other words, she's saying, You don't have a bucket, and this well is deep, so where can you get me that living water? Water is water. We know that. Water is a natural resource that God spoke into existence. But the living water that Jesus offers, Comes from no ordinary well, does it? Metaphorically speaking, living water, my friend, is salvation. It's salvation. It's saving us from this desperately desolate place that we live in. This place of darkness without salvation. Friends, I wouldn't want to be in this place. This would be an awful place without salvation. Without that living water, it would be an awful place. But I'm glad that I know, that I know, that I know, that I have a better place of waiting beyond this old world. Maybe 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, maybe two days. I don't know. But I'm ready to go, aren't you? Sure of this stranger's inability to provide the living water to which he offered, she asked him in verse 12, You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it, himself and his sons and his cattle. You see, Jacob was was a patriarch that was highly, highly revered. Jacob's well was even considered a sacred place. The well had supplied water for the people and the cattle for 2,000 years now. So her direct question was, are you greater than our father, Jacob? You're not greater than our father, Jacob, are you? Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing to eternal life. There are many people in our day that don't understand the concept that you do as a Christian. They don't understand what this scripture is saying. All the hope that the world needs lies right here in these verses. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. I hate death, don't you? I hate the thoughts of death. No one wants to die. I hate what it does. The way it separates us and breaks our hearts. I hate death. But we're going to a place. We're promised of an eternal place. Where there is no death. Death has already been conquered by Jesus Christ. He rose from the grave. And because of that, you and I have all the hope that we need. He's going to come again. And He's going to bring you and I with Him. What a day that will be. But Jesus stayed on point here. He said, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. This woman knew this to be true. For she herself had come many times to this water. You see, this was actually the chore of the women in that day was to carry water. The men would be out working in the fields, doing some other labor out there. The men were not getting to sit down and do nothing. They were out working too. But the women's chore was to carry the water. So this woman, she knew that just as sure as she carried that bucket of water back to her home, that she would have to come back to the well again because it wasn't going to last very long. She herself had kept having to come back and carry water from Jacob's well. It was an endless chore. And the water water from Jacob's Jacob's well provides only temporary relief, relief, as we've said. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst again. Instead, it would become a fountain of water inside him, springing up to eternal life. That's wonderful. Not only would they would they not only would the water he gives settle the thirst for a moment, but would begin to leap up or to spring up, become a spring out of the soul. Continuing to nurture day by day, year by year. That's why you're still here. Because there's a water of life that is springing up inside of you that that causes you to get up and come to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and you're over here during the week messing around doing all kinds of wonderful things. You can't quit. There's nowhere to stop. Worshiping and serving the Lord is an honor. Jesus has the living water of spiritual life that this woman's parched soul was in desperate, desperate need of. Why do you say she was in desperate need? Look at this. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw." All indications lead us to believe that this woman was absolutely spiritually bankrupt. She had not a clue what Jesus was referring to. She failed to grasp the nature of the water he spoke of. She was still thinking in terms of the physical. She knew what thirst was, and she knew the endless effort to quench the thirst, especially living out there in that desert. She wanted to receive this living water. But there was something that hindered her. Let's see what it is in verse 16. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. And Jesus said to her, he says, go call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, I have no husband. You see, she first tries to hide her sin. Isn't that the, the attempt of most of us? Before we finally surrendered our life to Christ, we wanted to hide our sins. Why? Because back in our conscience, we was ashamed of it. We were convicted of it. We were bothered by it. We were separated by it. Depends on the severity of the sin. Depends on uh, how other people perceive that sin. Unfortunately, nowadays, the world is open to all kinds of sin. Do what you want to. Go where you want to go. Say Say what you want to say. Be what you want to be. You can be a man today or a woman tomorrow. Whatever you choose to be, it's crazy. It's absolute crazy. I don't know a better way to put it. It's just crazy. I believe their minds have been turned over to reprobate minds, don't you? I believe their conscience has been seared. But she first tries to hide her sin, but Jesus exposes it by saying, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. You see, Jesus cuts to the heart of this woman's most troubling condition. Some people may say, well, that's a little mean, don't you think, to be, to be confronting someone in their sin, to be, uh, to be um, uh, exposing people's sin. Don't you think we need to be a little more tolerant? Don't you think we ought to be a, be a little more uh, uh, gentle on how we handle people? This woman was miserable. She was miserable. She was walking to the farthest away well at the hottest time of day because she was miserable. She was miserable. If she was truly thirsty, she could receive relief under the right conditions. Under the right conditions, she could receive relief. Now, first of all, let me say that the idea, listen to me, the idea of salvation without repentance is foreign to the scriptures the idea of salvation without repentance is contradiction to the scriptures i worry when i hear any minister even if it's me saying come to christ and i don't follow up saying oh by the way repent of your sins salvation involves repentance repentance involves a change of mind that, re- that results in a change of behavior. You don't do the things you used to do. You don't walk like you used to walk. You, the whole idea is to become more and more like Christ. So in short, repentance involves turning away from sin. In Paul's testimony of defense before King Agrippa, he said so in here, in verse 19, Acts 26 and 19. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient in the heavenly vision, but kept, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, and also at, at Jerusalem, and then throughout all Judea of uh, the region of, of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to god now this listen let's don't leave this part out this is important what does it say think about that for just a moment performing deeds appropriate for repentance Those who truly repent and turn to God will produce deeds appropriate to repentance. For the woman at the well to receive this living water, she had to truly thirst for the righteousness that God provides in salvation, confessing her sins and forsaking the old ways, forsake the old way and walking in the the new way. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. When you see the masses running here or the masses running there, you better go the other direction. God is exceedingly merciful. Yes, He is. Yet His Word says in Isaiah 55, 7, look at this. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, these are strong words. Let the wicked forsake his way. What in the world does that mean except for what it says? And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Forsaken your wicked thoughts, unrighteous man. This, th- those, th- going back to this other, uh, this other scripture. They should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Now the Bible views marriage as a formal legal public covenant between a man and a woman. Pastor Steve hit on that hard this morning. he stressed it. It was clear, it's crystal clear. So I won't go back over all that, but I want to stay on point here, but this woman, this particular woman had married five times and was now living with another man. Whom she was not married to. Not a pretty sight. Not a pretty sight. It's very common in this day that we live. But it's still not permissible by God. Now why did Jesus have to go there? Why in the world did he have to discuss something so controversial? After all, uh, they were talking about water. They were talking about getting a drink of water. Jesus, why did you have to go to this subject? But the woman was interested. She asked, where do I get this living water that you're talking about? And the only way to receive it was to deal with the sin. The sin had to be dealt with. She had to turn away from sin. And clearly, she was rattled by Jesus' complete, accurate knowledge of her sinful life. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The woman affirmed the accuracy of his knowledge of her wretched lifestyle. Notice, when her sin was exposed, the woman doesn't deny it. She doesn't defend it. You know, as long as a person is denying, as long as a a person is making an excuse, or or they're defending their, their, their lifestyle, they're not close to repentance. But this woman, she didn't deny it. She didn't defend it. She didn't say, because I wanted to. More than likely, she was looking for peace. More than likely, she was looking for, for fulfillment. More than likely, she was looking for living water. She was looking for peace. She was looking for hope. Life had been hard. And she simply said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She simply said to him, I perceive, that is, I believe that you are a prophet. When her sins were exposed, she was genuinely convicted of her sin. I'm not going to get through all of this tonight. But next week, we're going to see that she genuinely wondered where she could go to meet God and seek His grace and to seek His salvation. And I don't want to give up what I, what, I, what I know about the next verses and what I want to bring out. But I think it's important here to understand that she genuinely was wondering where she could go to meet God and seek this grace. The marvelous, marvelous grace that we talk about, that we preach about, that, we, that, we, that, we, that we're thankful for. And there are many in our society today, in our, in our neighborhoods, many people right around this church, in this, in this community, that needs to hear the pure old gospel that we still have in, in the Word of God. Here it is. Here it is. It needs to be preached just as true and just as faithful as it ever was. It's just as sufficient today as it was 2,000 years ago when it was penned by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when it was penned by Peter, when it was uh, penned by uh, John in the book of Revelation, and he told of all the things that are, you know something, the world is going to end. This old world, listen, if you're listening tonight by way of Facebook, this, this world is going to end. It's going to end in fire and brimstone. This world is going to be destroyed. And those who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior are going to be judged. And God is going to judge righteously. And those that are not prepared, those that are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, those who, are not, who have not repented of their sins, they're going to go to a place that burns with sulfur. It burns and it never quits burning for all of eternity. It's deep, it's dark. The Bible explains that there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It is far, far more uh, traumatic, far, far more um, uh, gruesome than we can ever imagine if you've ever watched a a terrible, uh, horrible horror movie. This is far worse than this. This is far worse than what that movie would be. It's far worse than any dream we could have. And I've had some pretty bad dreams. I've seen some things in dreams, and I know you probably have too, some darkness. I've heard stories of people smelling the sulfur. I've heard of people hearing people scream. It's not in the Bible, so I wouldn't preach it, but I'm just saying that hell's going to be an awful place. And so there is hope for everyone. As there was, there was hope for this woman who had been married five times and was living with another man, if there was hope for her, there's hope for everybody else too. Stand with me if you will tonight. Michelle, Steve, can we squeak out one?